You are Locked On Women's Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Magdal, reminding you you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB, like us on Facebook, or the best thing you could do, of course, would be to uh, follow us, rate us, and review us on iTunes or your podcast listen of choice. Uh, every review increases the audience for women's basketball, something that matters a great deal to me and I'm sure to you as well. And someone else who it matters to a great deal and has done quite a bit in that regard is Maria Cornelius, who, of course, writes about the Tennessee Lady Vols for InsideTennessee.com, MoxleyCarmichael.com, and she is the author of, I'm very excited, it should have been a drum roll, quite frankly, when it arrived, Pat Summit's final season, a uh, new book, and uh, we're going to have a separate conversation about that down the line, but we have a lot to talk about with the Lady Vols right now. So, Maria, how are you today? Doing well. Happy to speak with you here from Knoxville, Tennessee, and I want to thank you for your coverage of women's sports. It's much needed and much appreciated, so thank you. It is much needed, but thanks are not necessary. The pleasure is all mine. So let's, let's dig right into it. Obviously, there was no question going into a team that had barely been defeated this year in Mississippi State has a chance to win the first women's championship in the SEC in any sport if they come out with a victory. Senior night, no less. And Tennessee comes in, team with 10 losses, and absolutely decimates them. What do you make of what just happened in Starkville? Two things. Tennessee was on its game, both ends of the floor, and I think the moment may have gotten to Mississippi State because having seen Mississippi State multiple times this season, including in Knoxville, they play a smothering defense. And that was hit or miss Sunday. I mean, Tennessee was – their three-point shooters, Jamie Nard, Jordan Reynolds, who probably was not on the scouting report to hit threes, mm-hmm. they were left wide open. I mean, they, they could sit there and take a dribble and wait for a minute and still take the shot. So I know Mississippi State has got to be so disappointed with their effort. In fact, Vic Schaefer basically said that in the postgame press conference. He apologized to the 10,000 people who showed up. But those moments can seize up a team. The emotion of senior day, I've seen Tennessee have a big senior day and then come out flat. It's it's like they're, they're still caught up in the, in the pregame. Uh, Mississippi State will still be a force in postseason. They're probably catching their breath like every other SEC team because they play such hard defense, and you have to play defense in the postseason. So Mississippi State, I think, has still got a lot of noise left to make this season, but they, they have to be disappointed in that, in that final game I because mean, of all the circumstances you just listed. Yeah. And those are great points, and it's particularly noteworthy because their defense excels at turning the opponent over. I think really uh, nationally only Auburn was better this year at being able to do it uh, across the country, not just within the conference. And so you come in to face a Tennessee team that's been turnover-prone all season. It would seem that that would be a matchup that would particularly favor Mississippi State. So seeing the amount of space, like you said, that the three-point shooters had – Uh, It was really significant to me in and of itself. On the Tennessee side, though, this is something really notable to me. They were able to limit mistakes against that Mississippi State team. And what I wonder, and you would know better than anyone, do you think that is a sign that Tennessee has figured out 
how to get the better of their uh, turnover issue over the course of the year? Or do you think, do you take this as more of a one-off as well? I, they have actually been trending down on turnovers in the last two or three weeks. Hmm. Uh, the exception was, what was it, Alabama? Right. Actually, Alabama, they kept them under yeah. control. It, um, I, they, I, I'd have to look that up specifically as to which game that there was an aberration again. But they've kept it in that 9, 10, 11, 12 range. They've kept it very manageable to, to finish out the SEC and, and in, this, in these three-game win streaks that, mm-hmm. they, that they closed the season with. The, the thing with, with Tennessee is that it, they're maddening for their fans to watch. Because they can beat Notre Dame. They, they beat Stanford, beat Notre Dame, beat South Carolina, beat Mississippi State, those two teams on the road. And then they go down to Alabama, and and it, it, the, the game was just stunning, if you're yeah. a Tennessee fan, to watch. Now, there's the Auburn loss was unusual in that they built such a big lead and then lost it. But Auburn, as you pointed out, can turn you over. Right. That is their style of play. That loss, while disappointing, was not altogether unexpected. The Ole Miss loss was probably the worst of the season, or perhaps the Alabama loss. But then again, look at the SEC. Did did anyone think Ole Miss would beat A and M? Right. To, no. It, yeah. it, the SEC is one of the hardest leagues to get a handle on because the teams are so athletic. And if you're athletic, you can put pressure on another team. And, and specific to that Alabama game, by the way, you're right. It was only ten turnovers. It was. It was all the missed shots. And, you know, Jamie Nard with a 1-for-12 shooting performance. You compare that to the 30 points uh, she put up on Sunday. What are the keys to getting her unlocked? Was it getting those early looks inside? What, what is it that it takes? Because when, when she is scoring and you've got that extra punch on top of Mercedes Russell uh, and Diamond DeShields, it seems to be the major difference for Tennessee just on the offensive end. Jamie can lock herself in. And miss shots are going to happen, but yeah. what what was – and this wasn't uh, just Jamie. Watching that game, Tennessee didn't move to the ball. I mean, the ball's hitting the floor. It was a, it was a team-wide failure at Alabama. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it was the, probably the well, – it, it threw them out of a four seed. Yeah. And so it probably was the most disappointing loss for them. But Jamie's going to miss shots, but Jamie wasn't following her shot. She wasn't moved. She wasn't getting to the board. So, and like I said, she had company. It's not like I'm, I'm going to single her out. True. The key is, is for her to lock in. And Jordan Reynolds, if she can score like she did Sunday, that's, that's a bonus. What you want Jordan to do, too, is manage that game, get everybody where they need to go. And if you can get Mercedes and Diamond and Jamie on the same page, and playing together, which we have seen them do so well, especially at Mississippi State, Tennessee's a different team. If anybody goes off script, and I'm not talking about running, you know, run outs and, you know, transition. I'm talking about off script from the game plan. It tends to get Tennessee in in a spiral that it can't always get out of. We've seen that with the leads that they've surrendered when they built big leads. But the first thing Holly noted on her post-game press conference was that Tennessee stuck to the script on both ends of the floor. And when they do that, they are a much better basketball team. And what's fascinating to me, and we talked a little bit about this online, actually, that all year, Tennessee's analytics, they've lagged on the transition game. 
uh, especially on the defensive end. And you see a team, and, and it's not a deep team, but it is a team top to bottom filled with athletes and players you wouldn't expect to get beaten down the floor on a regular basis. Well, that didn't happen against Mississippi State. And that's something Mississippi State thrives on, is getting misses, turning it around, and getting it back down the floor. Do you think that that is a way that their game can and should change, especially here late in the season? Tennessee wants to run. And as much as I want to credit Tennessee for that performance, and they deserve it, we did not see Mississippi State play the way they play. In fact, Mississippi State was on a losing streak to end the season. That can be an indication of fatigue. This is a brutal league and if and if you're watching it at floor level you see how big these players are you hear the collisions and you see the team speed and i think top to bottom i think it separates the sec from every other league in the country and i'm talking you know one through number one team through you know bottom team mm-hmm. because even the last place team can give you a game yes even at your own place and that is the difference to me in the sec so while i'm not trying to excuse mississippi state and i'm sure vic schaefer is not a happy coach this week i think they started to hit a wall and and tennessee i think hit it and then sort of hit their second wind, uh, that's why that, that double buy is so important because no SEC team at the, is really built for a four-day stretch. Oh, it's huge. And, and you're yeah. right. You, you go top to bottom. Uh, Alabama is the 12th seed, a team that just beat Tennessee a couple weeks ago. You know, Florida uh, is a terrific team, and they're 11th in the league, and they're playing in that game one or that game two on Wednesday as well in the first round. So... There are no easy answers as far as this league goes. But let me take you a step further then as to Tennessee wanting to run and the long-term impact of it. I was so taken by these numbers that I decided to go back and say, all right, let's go look at the Pat Summit era. And the Pat Summit era, Tennessee, year after year, and this won't be news to you, but it was news to me, lagged in terms of transition defense and the places in which they were able to absolutely dominate, even the last title winning team in 08, even the last SEC champion, they managed to win by, to use Holly's term, staying on script. In the half court, they were devastating, offensively, defensively. No one could stop them on either end of the floor doing that in the half court. And so I guess my question for you is a little bit bigger. It's, do you think that Tennessee is locked into that identity and that that is the key? Or do you think that for Tennessee to be winning in this era where more teams are running now, even than five years ago, in a league where the half court is so bruising and so taxing that transition needs to be a bigger part of how Holly operates just even on a year-to-year basis with this program? I think she will especially with the class coming in, just mm-hmm. because she'll have more bodies. Yeah. Uh, Mercedes Russell is playing 36, 38, 39 minutes a game, mm-hmm. which is unheard of for a post player. So that, you, it's a, she's, she's in that position of you want to run. I mean, she, she's constantly wanting them to push tempo. But then SEC defenses are so good, they will stop. They can stop the ball. Yeah. So you had better be able to set up in the half court, too, Tennessee prefers to run. They love to get out and run. But 
especially in Greenville, you're not going to be able to run on every team down there. You, mm-hmm. you better be able to execute in the half court. I mean, you you were talking about past summit years. Some of the most epic matchups were LSU and Tennessee mm-hmm. when Candace Parker and Sylvia Fowles were there, and you, you didn't. Both of those teams. I mean, you you didn't run on either one of them. Their defense right. was so good. You had to defend in the half court. So well, I, I mean, I, you can argue that that is the key to winning tournament games, and it makes sense that even in overall disappointing season, it's seasons that Tennessee's gotten back to the Elite Eight consistently, even in the Holly era. Yes, I, I, no team has been more snake bit in the Elite Eight than than last year yeah. when uh, Jordan Reynolds goes out in the Sweet Sixteen with a concussion, and Bashar Graves and Andrea Carter both break their hand. Mm-hmm. I've never seen such a brutal Sweet 16. Bashar and Andre essentially played with one arm mm-hmm. in, in that Elite Eight game. Now, I don't, at the same time, I don't want to take anything away from Syracuse. They may have beat – Syracuse was on a heck of a run. They beat South Carolina yep. in the Sweet 16. So I don't want to say even a healthy Tennessee would have won, but Tennessee would certainly like to know what it feels like to be in an Elite Eight game with full strength. You we you mentioned Florida before. They were preseason four or five yeah. in, in the SEC. Injuries and then a transfer of their of their best shooter and all of a sudden you're at the bottom of the league. That that is how brutal key injuries or, or loss of, you know, personnel through through attrition or other means can be to a team. No, uh, and, and it's a great point in a lead where, you know, you're talking about the minutes, right? Mercedes is right around a thousand minutes already. Uh, Jamie as well and Jordan as well. That's a lot of numbers to put on the odometer before you even get to postseason play. But it does seem to make a difference in the postseason uh, for, you know, for Tennessee in this era. And so what I keep going back to is. I've, I've talked to other people about this on the program as well. Tennessee gets back to the Elite Eight this year. Is this going to be a season to celebrate? Or are you looking at a Tennessee team that once again is at double digits in losses despite the amount of talent that you have on the roster and say, boy, this wasn't what Tennessee ought to have done this year? I think the fans will reset for postseason. You know, it's O and O. If if Tennessee got to an Elite Eight, that that would be a tremendous accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Given they're they're better set up for a NCAA tournament bracket, as you know, you know, play day off play right. than this you know melee that's going to happen in, in Greenville. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you, I don't know what to expect in Green. Tennessee's beat every seat above them, right? So they they certainly can do it, that's but right. they they will not be rested. They will already be having played when they meet a top seed if they win Thursday, which, I mean, there's no given. They're going to play the winner of Alabama-Vanderbilt. Yep. So there is no given, like we said. That's not a guaranteed win. What do you think they can get to seed-wise in the NCAA tournament? Like you said, they have the ability to beat everyone in this league, having beaten each of the four ahead of them. If they manage to go down to Greenville and win the SEC tournament, are they a three? I mean, what, where do you, what do you think they get to in terms of the NCAAs? If they were to somehow win the tournament, I, I would think they would at least get to a four mm-hmm. and be able to host at home. That's a tall task, though. Because, oh, sure. I, mean, I, I think if I'm looking at the brackets right, if they can win Thursday, they meet Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
which I mean that that used to be a final matchup, and now yeah. it's uh, it's a quarterfinal matchup. Uh, so they they need to get a couple wins, I think, down in in, in Greenville at least, and and probably landed about a five seed. The things in their favor, of course, are the top ten wins. Right. The two signature road wins, the strength of schedule and RPI are going to be right right near the top as they as they always are because of the strength of the SEC. Mm-hmm. So they they're not necessarily a bad team on the road. I mean, last year they made it to Elite Eight by going all over the country. They went to yeah. Arizona, they went to South Dakota. So it's not they can't they can't play on the road. The key for them is what we talked about before. They have got to stay on script follow that scouting report. I know it sounds like a trite phrase, but when one person goes off script, I mean, you know how it is in basketball. It's just like football. If one person's off on the play, the whole play breaks down on either end, defense or, or offense. Right. They're expecting certain players to be certain places. If a play, And Holly doesn't mind quick shots if it's a good shot. But if you're coming down one on three and take a shot, nobody's there to rebound. That's not a good shot. So Tennessee's got to minimize their mental mistakes. And that and people say, well, that's a selfish play. No, it's a it's a player trying to make a play. They're not selfish kids. Right. They're trying to make a play. They think they can hit the shot. So it, they've got to they have got to really play play like they did against Mississippi State. Though Mississippi State did not put up the resistance we're right. used to seeing. Well. I, I, and, and in terms of a, a player who makes more of those plays than anyone else on this team, Diamond DeShields, what do you make of her evolution over the course of this season? There's been greater efficiency as she's gone uh, further along into SEC play. Is she where you think she ought to be at this point in the season, uh, given what your hopes and expectations were for her coming in? Coming off, I mean, she had a significant leg injury, mm-hmm. and obviously she doesn't talk much about it, and it hindered her all last season in terms of jumping. You could tell when you'd see her on the floor if, if she wasn't exploding off that leg. Right. I mean, it's almost like it was she was sort of dragging it around behind her. She is better this year physically, and when you're not in constant pain, I think that makes you a better player, just, you know, uh, that may be a Captain Obvious remark, but when you spend every day in pain, that's hard to play. Mm-hmm. So I think she feels better. She's also more comfortable with her teammates. I mean, you can see that in her assist. She no trusts question. them to make plays. She has a sublime game. That 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 is clear. When she is unstoppable when she wants to be, and when she can create her own shot, probably as well as top five players in the country. She puts so much pressure on the defense because you have to account for her at all times. And she's become an outstanding passer, which makes her even more dangerous. Diamond herself will say she had a lot of growing up to do. And she has grown tremendously on and off the court since she left North Carolina and got to Knoxville. And Holly may not get enough credit because dealing with top talent is not always easy. Mm And Holly may not get enough credit for how she has handled Diamond through these these last two seasons. I mean, remember Diamond was coming off the bench a good part of last season. Yeah. And that you put your star player on the bench, that that sends a heck of a message to the rest of the team. And now of course Diamond is is a is a starter. She's first team the all SEC teams came out today. She's mm-hmm. first team all SEC. 
And she, as she has become more comfortable with her teammates and trust her teammates more, Tennessee has become a better team. And when you get her and Jamie clicking together, Tennessee is a Final Four team if yeah. they can get those two on the same page throughout Be- the game. Because both of them really are these matchup problems that very few teams can counter. You mentioned uh, Diamond's passing, and my favorite stat about her season this year is, you know, Jordan's running the point, but Diamond is actually the team leader in assist percentage. She's at 23.7%, which for the type of player she is, is just remarkable. In terms of Diamond's future, you know, I've talked to a lot of WNBA talent evaluators, and virtually every one of them has said, look, if if she comes out, she's going to be the first overall pick in the draft. Do you see it that way, and do you think that is the likely outcome? I know she's talked about how this is not something she's looking to address right now, and she's looking to think about it after the season. Kelsey Plum would have to be in that conversation, too, I think. No question. No question. Good Lord, she can score. Uh, And and not just score, but score with ridiculous efficiency. She's within free-throw shouting distance of a 50-40-90 season. And she's hard to guard because she can shoot at different angles. Yeah. She doesn't have to get her feet set. She doesn't need time. I mean, she could she could drive. Diamond, of course, it'll depend on what the team needs and if there's any trades, you know, in terms of draft order. It's Sometimes the first or second player isn't necessarily the best player of the right. class, but it's what that team needs, as you know. Uh, would Diamond be in that conversation? Absolutely, because she is a terror on defense. Mm-hmm. And she that's another thing people don't pay a lot of attention to is how well she can – she can guard somebody But inconsistently. That's the interesting thing about it. I, I had a conversation with her at the start of the year, and she said her number one thing to work on in her mind was defense. And, and you've seen it. You've seen that she has these games. She can take over late and not just offensively. If anything, more defensively and going up and blocking shots and going after people. But you pull up synergy and you look at where she is overall, and she's in the 30th percentile in terms of her ability to defend her opponent, points per possession. How do you account for the for the gap there, and what do you think can and will change for Diamond to be able to be consistent on the defensive end? I think right now she knows she can't foul out, and mm. Mercedes is in the same group. So that will make you a little bit less aggressive on defense. That's interesting. Because you know you cannot foul out, because Tennessee does not have anybody to take your 38, 39 minutes a game. Right. So you cannot get in. They do get in foul trouble sometimes. And Alexa Middleton, you know, she's starting now. Mimi Jackson has gotten better. Mm-hmm. So they, but the five, the primary four, Jordan, Mercedes, Diamond, and Jamie, no, you cannot foul out of the game. You just can't. I think Diamond, too, is she physically feels better. She is very slight of build. If you if you stand next to her, she she's you know tall. She's basketball player size, but she's very slight to build. And maybe as she got as she gets stronger, uh, she she could also become a more, maybe a more like you said efficient defender. But I would be curious to see how she guards when she knows she doesn't have to worry about fouling. Yes, fouling out. No, that's a and really not, good point. Yeah. That's a really good point. And and in terms of the teams we'll be talking about, San Antonio being number one, you could see her just being an absolute terror, almost in a lot of ways, 
uh, playing the same role defensively that Brianna Stewart played for Seattle this past year. Not, strictly speaking, just a rim protector, but someone who's able to jump into passing lane, someone who's able to do a little bit of everything uh, inside, outside, uh, defensively. So that'll be fascinating to see. I, I just want to go through the SEC tournament that's coming up. And I know it's it's hard to make predictions, but... I don't want to lose sight of what Missouri did. You know, to end up at that three seed, to go have that big win over South Carolina, do you think that Missouri is as good as that three seed would make you think they were? Well, you earn it in this league, so I'm I'm going to say they, they deserve it. Yes. Uh, they um, Alabama, just go, going back to the how tough the SEC is, Alabama went up 10 on Missouri at home mm-hmm. in the third quarter. Missouri came back and beat them. So that's a resilient team. So much, and, and Pat Summit would say this all the time, especially in the SEC, how mentally tough are you? Because that's when the winner and the losers are going to get separated. Hmm. How mentally tough are you when the game is tight? Are you going to tighten up? And she saw her own Tennessee teams do it. It wasn't you know, a criticism. She, she would point out when her own teams would do it. Right. And... So I, Missouri deserves it. They t- they beat South Carolina. They uh, I mean Tennessee certainly had no easy time with them either. Yeah. Tennessee had them at home. They are very tough in Columbia. They're they're Columbia, of course, Missouri. So I I don't want they 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 have done an excellent job since they've come into the SEC and they they can score in a multiple multiple ways and they play enough defense to keep you off balance. And I, and I love seeing Sophie Cunningham get her moment against South Carolina. It's so well-deserved with the type of player she is. So take me through, if you are looking at these SEC teams, come NCAA time, who do you think makes the biggest run? And I know so much of it is based on who gets seeded where and what the matchups are. But just purely based on what you've seen from this conference, who is best equipped in this conference to make the longest run? Is it South Carolina? Is it Mississippi State? You know, it, it seems like Mississippi State is fading late with South Carolina. You have to worry now about Elena Coates and, and her health as well. Yeah, is it Tennessee? Yeah, that was scary to see. Yeah, and nobody hit her. She just was running. Mm-hmm. and So she's obviously going to have to manage ankle pain. Yeah. Um, I mean, South Carolina, of course, because they – their post play is is built for postseason. Um, the biggest issue is guard play for everybody because yeah. you win in postseason with guards. You guards have got this is the college game is still a very guard oriented game. Yeah. Um, so which is Kentucky, why Syracuse might have beaten Tennessee last year anyway, just because yeah. of that remarkable backcourt. But please go ahead. Yes, but and you and you're correct because they took it to South Carolina too. Yeah. Um, and South Carolina lost that game at the guard position. Mm-hmm. Tennessee lost that game at the guard position. Um, so Mississippi State, I think, will regroup. They're they're such a physical team, and and they'll they'll cause some problems in postseason. Missouri, it's going to depend on the matchups, uh, but Missouri has what you can't quantify right now, and that's confidence yeah. that, that they can play well and win big games. Uh, Gary Blair will get Texas A&M figured out, um, but that loss at Ole Miss probably that's going to would have probably exposed some some ways to attack them. 
and and hurt their seeding quite a bit. You'd have to think. Yes. But then ten, Tennessee and Kentucky with Evelyn Akatar and and uh, Michaela Epps. I don't want to rule them out. Kentucky seems to be playing well together right now, mm-hmm. and and that is so key. And so, gave South Carolina everything they could handle the other day. Yes, and, yeah. and several teams. I mean, South Carolina has not had an easy easy row of it. No. Uh, I remember asking Holly in January when Tennessee lost its third game of the season to Mississippi State, and she wasn't. I said at that point only one. There were two teams left undefeated. We were three games into the SEC, and only two teams were undefeated in the league at Mississippi State and South Carolina. Three games in, <laughs> and she said, "I don't know if anybody can get through this league unblemished. It's just such a tough league." And and we see that, of course, where two five lost teams are the three and four seed. Right, right, and, and eight teams in the RPI top thirty nine nationally. So that this, its tournament's going to be fantastic. I'm I'm real excited to watch it uh, start to finish. I, place I'd love to get your thoughts are just bigger picture, uh, and and then want to make sure we're not missing anything. Uh, on your end of things, but when you think about the national conversation with Holly and you think about what she's done in Tennessee, I almost think of it as as schizophrenic as their season has been and their last couple of seasons have been. You can look and say they haven't reached the Final Four, they have double-digit losses this year, they had double-digit losses last year. You can also look at it and say they've made three Elite Eights, they have been a consistent power program and it's entirely inappropriate to compare any coach any coach to what pat summit was able to accomplish even if it's at the same at at the same school what are your just big picture thoughts on holly's tenure to date and where the state of the program is under her there have been some disappointing losses, and ultimately the responsibility falls on the head coach. And fortunately, Holly has acknowledged that. I mean, she's even said, you know, criticize me all you want. That, that, the, that's what the head coach has, has to handle. But is that fair? It, it, fans are not going to be fair. It's <laughs> <laughs> just not. not in, and, and they get disappointed. And the irony, too, is, is that this is exactly what Pat Summit wanted. She wanted parity in the game. She wanted the game to grow. Right. Holly is dealing with exactly what Pat Summit has built. And in Holly's defense, people act like Pat stepped down and Tennessee was coming off championships. Right. Tennessee hadn't been to a Final Four since 2008. Mm-hmm. They hadn't been there in the and Pat's last, what was that, nine, uh, last four seasons either? Yeah. Uh, 08, 09, 9, 10, yeah. They were still winning SEC titles, but not winning. Yes, they were still winning SEC. South Carolina was on the cusp, Mm -hmm. and when they got Asia Wilson, that of course, you know, that that was that signature recruit, like Skylar Diggins at Notre Dame, just changed your program. Notre Dame was always an excellent team. Skylar Diggins put them over, put them over the top. Asia Wilson did the same thing for South Carolina, and then Vic Schaefer has recruited well at Mississippi State. No question. So. Basically, Holly is dealing with exactly what Pat created. Will Holly be the first to say Tennessee's got to get to a Final Four? Yes. Would it be a surprise this season? Yes. I Like I said, I predicted them fourth in the SEC to start the season because I had so many question marks about the point guard position mm-hmm. and depth. Of, of, of not, it would, when Taya Cooper went down in, in June or July – 
there went Tennessee's depth at point guard, and then Andrea Carter physically couldn't come back. So now you went from three point guards, and Jordan Reynolds is a combo guard. She was recruited to Tennessee to play the combo position and assist Andrea and Taya at point. She has had to become the full-time point guard, and that's a lot more than Jordan ever bargained for at Tennessee. In some games, she's done it extremely well, as we saw against Mississippi State and other games she has struggled. I think, as Holly pointed out, Jordan said yes to me as a head coach. And so that that class was special to her because Jordan is in that class that, that said yes mm-hmm. and knowing Pat would not be there. So it's part of what Holly is dealing with is what Pat created, both with the parody and also talent is spread out. You yeah. look at the rosters of, of these top SEC teams and these rosters are loaded. So the, uh, the cry, and I'm glad to see it. Everybody's not just going to Connecticut or Tennessee anymore. Mm-hmm. Holly did exa- – what has hurt them this season, of course, was the 2006 misses in recruiting. Yeah. That, that you, in the SEC, it is hard to recover from a lost year of recruiting. Did they fix it this year? Yes. They got the top class coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple freshmen, they'll probably compete to start. I, I never hand over starting position to freshmen, and I think we put too much expectation expectational freshmen unless you're Candace Parker because I mean they're not physically there's a senior guard right now that can school any freshman because she knows what she can get away with what the rest won't call she's stronger she's she's more physical yeah I mean her body is just three years older and three years more developed yes so freshmen should not be oh my god they're going to save the program let them adjust to college basketball they're used to taking van trips not plane trips I guess I'd asked you do you think that, because it is, and and the talent is so spread out. I was just looking at the top 100 uh, for 2017, and there are so many schools on that list, and it's so different than if you were to scan that list, say, 10 years ago. But does next year loom as a year that Holly really needs to put her stamp on what Tennessee is under her because of the players that are coming in and the potential players who are coming back. Yes, especially if they have that full roster, if they both happen to come back, mm-hmm. and you've got those freshmen. Uh, a 10-loss season will, I mean, the people will melt down here. Um, <laughs> and, and the loss at, they've had some, the loss at Penn State, I, I, the loss at Baylor, the, Tennessee actually flipped it, or, or when they hosted Baylor, mm-hmm. Tennessee actually flipped its season after that loss. I mean, they just got mauled by Baylor. Yep. And, and the loss at Penn State was was a disappointing one. So Tennessee will have to have a much stronger identity as to who they are on the court in terms of being physical. Mm-hmm. I heard Dean Lockwood analogy. Dean Lockwood always has the best analogies. He said he compared it to being at the country club in the summer, and there's the group, you know, having fun on the pool and playing golf, and then there's the grounds crew. You know, they're digging ditches and watering lawns. And he said sometimes we're on the pool deck. Instead of being on the ground grounds crew, hmm. so that's a mindset, and you also change that in recruiting. And I think with player a player like Avina Westbrook, I think they have changed uh, Renaya Davis, Anastasia Hayes, Cassie, in Georgia. I think they have recruited some players with some a little bit of venom to them. Mm-hmm. They, they, it, it, you've got to have a nasty side to survive in the SEC. 
Well, that's going to be fascinating to see. I'm really looking forward to it and and not counting out Tennessee when it comes to the tournament because I did no. that I did that at my peril last year, quite frankly. And then Tennessee went out and surprised a lot of people. And like you said, uh, with a full complement of team with two arms, might have had a very different answer as to who ended up in the Final Four. Before I yeah. let you go, anything that we ought to know about the work you have upcoming uh, and let people know, obviously, how they can follow your work as well. Well, I'm at InsideTennessee.com. That's my freelance job. I've covered the Lady Ball since 1998, mm-hmm. and uh, we have a very active message board, and I'll be covering the tournament starting Thursday with Tennessee's game. And then uh, my full-time job, I work for the leading PR firm here in Knoxville, Knoxley Carmichael. So that that is uh, the job that I have full-time, but I've continued to – once you get hooked by sports, you can't get out, so – I continue to, to freelance there. And, of course, the book you mentioned, the final season, uh, which chronicles Pat Summit's final season with Tennessee, and you have a copy of that, and we'll talk about that later. Boy, am I excited. There's one, there's one thing I'll add. You know, the big question everybody wants to know, mm-hmm. what are Mercedes and Diamond going to do? Yep. They, cl- they they meet the graduation requirements. They're both academic. They'll both graduate with their class. They're, they meet the age threshold. They neither both have said, I will decide after the season. They clearly don't want it to be a distraction mm-hmm. uh, for anybody. So you start trying to read between the lines. And Diamond cares. Diamond understands the legacy of a Lady Vol. Hmm. You hang a banner if you want to be remembered forever. That is a, the unfortunate standard of a Lady Vol. The, the players like Candace Parker, she can see them come back. Tamika Catchings. Those players come back and it's just a different aura about them. And remember, they were all here. All the, This whole team was here in June for Pat's memorial service mm-hmm. celebration. They saw dozens of Lady Vols come through, former Lady Vols, from all the championship teams and throughout the years. And I think Diamond, of all people, especially with her mother having run track at Tennessee, understands that long orange line. Hmm. So if Tennessee does not get to a Final Four mm-hmm. and compete for a championship, it would not surprise me to see Diamond come back. Now, what she has to do is evaluate. Wait a minute. Am I the top pick? Can I make a quarter million dollars overseas? And I think she just is thinking, I'm going to figure all this out you know, in March at some point. Mercedes, same thing. Mercedes doesn't have that long orange tie to Tennessee, but she also understands you want to walk back in that arena and see a banner. Right. And if you don't put a banner up, it is going to gnaw at you. It's unfortunate that that is considered falling short at Tennessee when you consider the 161 players at Pat Coach and now the ones coming after Holly. Well, that's part of the legacy, too, I suppose. It is. Yeah. It is a lot of pressure. You don't say yes to Tennessee unless you're ready to embrace that pressure. Mm-hmm. So... I, I will be very curious to see what those two do. I, I, I think Mercedes will be very appealing to the WNBA. She's 6'6", she's mobile, she can hit free throws. She did no not question. have that little over-the-hook, over-the-left-shoulder shot, the nice little 10-foot bank shot. She can step out and hit some 15-footers, too. She doesn't do that a lot for Tennessee because, you know, Jamie and Diamond are there. So I and, and imagine her only playing, say, 20 minutes a game rather than almost the full game. So I, she will have appeal at the next level. Oh, no question about it. And, and yeah. in, in terms of Tennessee as a whole, that legacy, I think, is a really remarkable one and something that 
still affects players, it sounds like you're saying. And, and yes. you know, because you, you talk about a lot of these programs uh, through the years and the players who come up aren't necessarily aware of the history. Do you, do you think that's something that will stand the test of time or do you think it's just, I mean, we're still, it, it wasn't very long ago that Pat was still on the sidelines. I know. She is five years ago. She was coaching her last SEC tournament in yeah. Nashville, which fortunately Tennessee won. Mm-hmm. And I remember all of us watching her go up that ladder and thinking, "God, is this it?" Yeah. Um. So I, I would think so. Uh. Because because when you walk into the arena, I mean, those banners are there. Those retired jerseys are there. Candace winning the WNBA championship put Tennessee right back in, in more of a national spotlight. It sure did. I still wonder if that helped with recruiting some because mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, the player Mimi Collins, the, the class of 2018, her favorite player is Candace Parker still. Hmm. Uh, that was that was partly why she wanted to go to Tennessee. Right. So Candace still resonates, and I think Diamond wants a Candace legacy, or a Tamika legacy, or a Holtzclaw legacy. And you got you got to get that banner up at Tennessee for that. And if Tennessee, in terms of national history, if they can get back to a Final Four this year, next year, year after that, I think that 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 legacy will will be cemented even more. That um, is fascinating. I, I I mean, you know, the other part of it, and we're not even mentioning this aspect of it, is they didn't have to make the decision real fast. You know, the, that gap between how long players on the men's side have and they can take almost two months and they can go through yeah. workouts and everything. And it can be, depending on when your season ends, as little as, you know, 24 to 48 hours to try and figure that out. I was uh, talking to Brittany Seitz about this, and she made the decision in the locker room after Syracuse lost to Connecticut. But the truth is, if she hadn't made that decision right then, she had about a day to do it. Yeah, they, that, which is why I mean they're thinking about it. Uh, of clearly, course. it's on their mind. But they, whatever decision they've reached, if they've even reached one, they're 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 keeping it close to the vest. And I, I can see why. That may, maybe yeah. they'll know in Greenville after Greenville. Maybe they'll have a better idea. Um, I mean both could obviously help Tennessee tremendously and and improve their own games. But they also have to look at injury history and. And potential income. If you told me I can make a quarter million dollars out of my first year out of college overseas, I mean, so they have they have to ponder all that and yes. figure out what they have to do what's best for them at this at this point. Yeah. Well, so, we we entered the wrong field to try and make a quarter of a million dollars coming <laughs> the first year out yeah, of school. Twenty five thousand was high coming yes. out of coming out of college. Same so here, same I, you here. know, I respect whatever decision they make, and I, I would trust both of them to. You know, take counsel with their with their families and and coaches and and decide where yep. they need to go. Nope. And I could understand either way. I could see the appeal coming back, and I could see, you know, it's time to it's time to make a look. Absolutely, no judgments from me either. I I will just note that Kelsey Plum had made that decision before the end of the season and put that to bed uh, in that way. By the time the final four had rolled around, she had made that call, but. Not an easy one, no question, and will be fascinating to see. Well, Maria, just as enjoyable to talk to you as I, I knew it would be, and I'm really thankful you're so generous with your time with me. Uh, thank you so much for being on the program. 
Thank you, Howard, and I look I look forward to coming back after you've had time to uh, to make it through the book. Oh, you and me both. And just a reminder to our listeners, you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB, like us on Facebook, Locked On Women's Basketball, and go ahead and subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes, your podcast listen of choice. Uh, I'm Howard Megdahl, wishing you a wonderful day.